Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is week three and the Pittsburgh Steelers are getting ready to host the Houston Texans. No, it's not just the Watt Bowl. It's the Steelers, the Texans, and it's going to be a fantastic game. Welcome to Here We Go Steelers pregame show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is Jeffrey Benedict in for Kevin Smith this week. Jeffrey, how are you, my friend? I'm doing really good, Brian. I'm so glad to have, this is the first time we've had a chance to do a show together. So th- this, this almost completes my, uh, my, BT- my BTSC colleague circle now. So I'm so glad to have you on the show, Jeffrey. Oh, I'm glad to be here. You know, I've even, the, the Australian guys even beat you to a show with me. <laughs> <laughs> so wow, you're the final piece of that puzzle. So I really appreciate it. So we're getting ready for week three. It's the Houston Texans. They're 0-2, Jeffrey, so that's an easy win for the Steelers, right? Uh, not really. Uh, they're an 0-2 team, but they are probably the most battle-tested 0-2 team we will see. Uh, facing the Chiefs and the Ravens early in the season, two teams whose offense is largely returned, that's rough. That's rough for any team to face. Uh, and they actually did they, – they held up pretty well. They kept fighting. Like they, it's kind of one of those games you know you're going to lose. Uh, but they really grew through those games, and they, sh- they showed some real, real promise. Absolutely, and I said that facetiously at the beginning because I'm actually afraid of this team. I think the uh, Houston Texans are a lot better than anybody give them credit, gives them credit for. Dave Schofield mentioned the other day that this is going to be the best, steel- the best team that the Steelers faced so far in the young season, and they really are. You know, the combined records of the teams that the Steelers have beaten are 0-4. And now with their opponent, the teams that they've played so far are 0-6. There's not a win among any of those opponents yet. But that doesn't mean that this team is not good, especially when you go up against two Super Bowl contenders in Kansas City and in the form of the Baltimore Ravens. And we know what those teams bring to you. So Deshaun Watson, we'll talk a little bit about him later. I know we're talking all about J.J. Watt. Of course, there's, a, there's so much to the narrative there, and it's a fun narrative. But you have guys like Justin Reed. David Johnson is no slouch either. And a lot of people you know, put him down for the fact that uh, he had been injury prone and he's not the kind of return you get for a guy like, like DeAndre Hopkins. But here's the thing on him. Do you remember – the last couple of uh, fantasy years, everybody was picking him with the number one pick. So he's a stud player as well. But before we get into everything here, Jeffrey, one thing that I really want to talk about is head to head. There's not a rich history with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Houston Texans, but there's an interesting history. And that started off the expansion year for the Houston Texans. Um, David Carr was the quarterback. I always mix him up with the uh, Las Vegas Raiders quarterback, his brother, Derek Carr. But David was the quarterback. He was sacked a record 76 times that expansion year. Rolling into December, they come in, the Pittsburgh Steelers have Tommy Maddox. It was that beautiful 2002 uh, season where the Steelers went far into the playoffs. They were favored heavily in this game. It was at home. Your good friend, BAD, was in the stands for this game. And what happened, it did not go like anybody expected, Jeffrey. No, it did not. That was not a good game. Tell me about what you remember about that game. I, I remember uh, 
biggest thing I remember from that game is Aaron Glenn. Because Aaron Glenn in that game had two interception returns for a touchdown. And I remember him being in that game. I remember him being incredible. Uh, and so the next year I drafted him in fantasy football. We were doing the <laughs> defense where you have defensive players get points. And he did absolutely nothing the next season. Because uh, most of his stuff was off those two interception returns he had against the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2002. So this is how one-sided that game was. The Texans had, you told me, what, 47 total yards? 47 yards. And what did the Steelers have total yards in that game? 422. And they lost. The Pittsburgh Steelers lost that game 24-6. to <laughs> And I'm in the stands, and I'm like, what is going on here? I never I, – I thought this was going to be an easy day at the park, an easy drive home for me. And this is happening. So Aaron Glenn had, what, two pick sixes in that game? Yes. And yep, he had two of them. And there was another – so I was thinking there was a kickoff return, but they, uh, they scored on a uh, turnover deep in Pittsburgh territory as well. So that's where they got those points. And let me ask you this. Do you remember who the kicker for the Houston Texans was in that game? I do. That was Chris Brown. Yes. Merry Christmas. Chris Brown, uh, a year removed from the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, they unprotected him in in the draft, in the uh, expansion draft, and he went to the Texans. Had a long, good career with him, and I'm glad. I, I'm glad that they did. That uh, Brown had a great career with the uh, Houston Texans. He didn't do so well in Pittsburgh, but that ended up uh, turning into Jeff Reed. And Jeff Reed had a wonderful eight years in Pittsburgh um, after the uh, Chris Brown and the, what was the guy's name they brought in between? Um, I keep on forgetting his name. I can't Uh, remember that either. Yeah. They brought him in from the Falcons. Um, He didn't last long. I have always known this and uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I'll figure it out later. Um, He didn't last too long. He lasted about, two and a half months in Pittsburgh. Then they had the tryout at Heinz field. Next thing you know, in his debut game, an excellent, uh, like six field goals in his debut game for the Steelers, Jeff Reed. And then the rest was history. I looked it up real quick. The name you're looking for is Todd Peterson. Todd Peterson. Yeah, gosh. And I should have known that, but uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, But we're not talking about 2002. We're talking about 2020. So we're just going to get dyslexic there, flip that two for a zero. And here we are now. But if we're still talking head-to-head, the Steelers lead this series four to two. And the only other loss was in 2013 when the Steelers started out 0-4. It was a a rough time. And they still finished 8-8 and and almost made the playoffs. If it wasn't for uh, Ryan Suckup, for the Kansas City Chiefs blowing that game. I still curse him to this day. I know he's a Pittsburgh native, but he missed that field goal. I know he's still in the league, but gosh, uh, I digress. But those are the only two losses. But some interesting things about the wins that Pittsburgh has had against the Houston Texans. They happened early in 2005 and 2008. In 2005, it was a breakout game for uh, Willie Parker. In 2008, you had the, uh, the magic of the uh, Super Bowl season as well. So two games that they played Houston early, they went to go on and win the Super Bowl. 
So that's something that we could uh, look at and, uh, and, and feel really good about and well, feel more hopeful than anything. So that would be fantastic. But Houston and Pittsburgh, not a long series, but an interesting series. And another one that I think of when I think about Houston and Pittsburgh, and it has something to do with this week's game as well. The emergence of Martavis Bryant happened on a Monday night against the Houston Texans in 2014, where Ben finally had his big receiver again. The first time he's had his big receiver since Plexico Burris. And now Ben has his big receiver again. And what are your thoughts on Chase Claypool and the Ben connection? Because I was watching an old game, the Steelers and Patriots from Halloween of 2004, when Ben was a rookie and he relied on Plexico Burris like crazy in that game. And in that season, Plexico had two touchdowns in that game. Does Ben feel more comfortable with a big receiver like Chase Claypool, even though he's the veteran and Claypool's the rookie? Ben has always, Ben has always loved that big receiver. He used to talk about it a lot. He kind of got away from talking about it um, as he got longer into his career, but yeah, he, he loves big receivers, um, and, Chase, and he loves them when they bring in the ball. Like, if he can throw it higher and just throw it over a defensive back, Ben has – he's that kind of guy. Um, I always say he's a quarterback who – he's not going to, you know, make the play for you. He's not a Peyton man. He's not a Tom Brady where it's like if you – you know, you get from point A to point B in point – and, you know, in 1.7 seconds and the ball is going to be there waiting for you. That's not Ben. Ben is the kind of quarterback he's going to give you a chance to make a play and you're going to get that chance, but you have to make the play. So with a big, tall receiver, he's going to throw him up. He's going to throw jump balls up there, let him go get him. Uh, we saw that week one with that catch on the sideline. He threw a, he threw a tough ball over there and Chase Claypool came down with it. That's, so me, that's the kind of re- quarterback he is. And I think that's why he likes those big, tall receivers. So let me ask you this. Are the floodgates open now? because of that 84-yard touchdown last week against the Broncos. Is Chase, has Chase Claypool won a spot with Ben Roethlisberger? Actually, this is something I've been thinking about because uh, I was looking, listening to Ramon Foster, who uh, was on the Steelers last year and now is a media member. He was talking about that throw. And he said what stood out to him was that Ben threw that big sideline throw and took a hit to get that ball to Chase Claypool. Uh, and to him, that means Ben trusts him. And for someone like Ramon Foster, who's been around Ben Roethlisberger on the field, in the locker room for so Absolutely. long, to say that really stood out to him. You know, you think about that. Like, like Ben was willing to take a hit to give this kid a chance to make a play on the sideline. If that had been, you know, someone he didn't trust, he probably tucks that ball, moves out of the way of that, of that pass rush, and finds a dump off somewhere. But he, he trusted him enough to throw in that ball, and Chase Claypool made it work. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it ben, Ben's a little old school, so I, I like to think of him kind of as, a, as kind of like a little bit of a mob boss on the Steelers, uh, where he may not be the official power, but he has a lot more power than we give him credit. And, uh, oh, yeah, we've talked so about me, that. <laughs> yeah, for me, Chase Claypool is he's kind of a made man here. There's, there's a few things we still need to see from him. Uh, in order to really have him go off. One is to have the coaches trust him enough with his different routes, his blocking, his knowledge of the offense to play him more. Because while he is, I think, third 
I think Dave Schofield brought up. He's like third in, in rookie receivers after two, yes. after two games. Ron Shanklin and before that, Lewis, Lewis Lips. Lips. But he ranks behind Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster. Even James Washington had more snaps through two games than Chase Claypool does. So that's a big one. The coaching staff needs to know they can trust him and they can run their whole offense with him on the field. And with a shortened offseason, that may take a little more time. That's stage one. And the second one is we need to see that game where he catches four or five passes in one game. He has, only, he has those yards, but he only has, he only has five catches. You know, he has five total targets in two weeks, and he has five catches. Uh, we need to see a game where that goes up. And if this week we start seeing him on the field more often, we see him catch a few more balls, then, yeah, this could be that game for him. He is set up to, to really break out now. One more thing about Claypool. Could the Deontay Johnson failed run back because of the penalty to Cam Sutton be one of the most important plays of the entire season for the Pittsburgh Steelers for opening up that opportunity for that 84-yard touchdown? Yeah, that was incredible. Like, just seeing that, like, that was kind of a, is either a ticky-tack or a flat-out bad call uh, on Cam Sutton. And then the very next play, the very next play, Ben Roethlisberger hooks up with Chase Claypool in, in what was one of the best football justice moments I think we've seen. I, I agree with you on football justice. I like that. I've never heard it called that. But you know what? I, you know, as much as you hate to take those stats away from Deontay Johnson and take them away from uh, – me because I would have won our FanDuel that week with just just a few extra points. I would have won all of the money, which was twenty seven dollars, and that's a big deal to bad here. But um, you know, the thing about that is you, you hate to see Deontay not get credit for that score, but he's going to get those scores. But I think that's such an important play because that is really changing the landscape for. Uh, for Chase Claypool to get those snaps and he's going to get more opportunities, but it's really nice to know that you've got James Washington, you've got Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster who's playing this week. So Jeffrey, what we're going to do right here, we're going to take a quick break. So we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to here we go Steelers pregame show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Alongside me is Jeffrey Benedict who is subbing for uh, KT Smith this week. It's really good to have you here, Jeffrey. And we're talking Steelers. We're talking Texans. What do the Steelers have to really be aware of when it comes to Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans? Well, them on offense, uh, they have a really interesting offensive design. You can see Bill O'Brien trying to build there. Uh, you've got Deshaun Watson, who, who likes to throw the deep ball. He likes to get it downfield. He also can scramble a bit. And they have paired him with uh, Will Fuller, uh, Kenny Stills. Um, you've got Brandon Cooks there. You've got several deep threats. And then you've got the veteran Randall Cobb, who's kind of their little possession receiver underneath. He reminds me a lot of uh, Heinz Ward late in his career, how he just kind of worked underneath and, and, you know, worked the defense in space. And then behind that, they have two running backs who are both receivers. So they really have this kind of push it deep, kind of mentality back the defense up and then attack them underneath with guys like David Johnson and Duke Johnson and David Johnson can really thrive in a system like that. He really can. So, so Deshaun Watson in that situation uh, is kind of interesting. We talked about that with our uh, guest on know your enemy and he kind of, 
he, he was talking about him not really wanting to, to use this system. Like he's not, he's not a guy who wants to throw to the running backs underneath all the time. He doesn't want to do these check downs. He's a guy who wants to make plays and that works when you have, you know, a, a receiver of the caliber that they had last season uh, with DeAndre Hopkins. He kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Ben Roethlisberger at the early Todd Haley in the early Todd Haley uh, tenure as offensive coordinator, where he doesn't quite fit the offense right now. He really needs to grow, uh, become a more complete quarterback and get away from his, you know, I'm out here just to make plays kind of mentality. If, as that happens, I think he's going to become a much better quarterback. Uh, but it's got to happen. It's got to actually happen. I had my uh, Pulp Fiction Vinny Vega moment the other day when I came out and I had my, that's a bold statement because I <laughs> put Deshaun Watson in the same category as Lamar Jackson. And I actually think uh, Deshaun, if he had the weapons that uh, – that Lamar has in Baltimore and the offensive line that Lamar has in Baltimore, that he would actually be the MVP of this league. I think he's handcuffed with what he has as far as an offensive line, but he does have weapons. They're not the sexy names that people think about, but they're really good names when you're talking about uh, two D Johnsons. And it's really funny. This is a more of more of a D Johnson bowl, uh, more of a DJ bowl than a Watt bowl. Because if you take one of the Watts, who is a DJ, just did not want to be. I don't know if you know that story. Derek Watt did not want to be DJ because of DJ Tanner from Full House and now Fuller House. And that is actually a true story. He, that's why he decided not to take DJ. Um, but so you have Duke Johnson. You have Deontay Johnson, David Johnson, and now another DJ. So that's actually more prevalent than the Watt Bowl. But a lot of people don't realize how good David Johnson is. And we alluded to it earlier. He catches, he catches a lot of passes out of the backfield. And we saw that in week one. Saquon Barkley could not do anything on the ground against the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. But where he got his fantasy points, where he got his yardage, it was all in passes. And that's very dangerous for the Steelers to defend that. Can the Steelers defend that a whole lot better going, going in knowing that that is going to be more of their forte than running through the tackles? I hope so. I mean, it also, David Johnson brings back memory of last year in Arizona, that uh, awful catch where, he, where Terrell Edmonds misread the deep ball and they got a touchdown. That was David Johnson who scored that touchdown. That's right. Um, against the Steelers. That's, a, that's something everyone remembers it was Terrell Edmonds, but people don't remember it was David Johnson who caught that. It was a great catch, too. Um, he is that kind of player. Uh, I think if the Steelers try and do a stuff-the-run mentality, a kind of, you know, what they did against New York Giants, you will see David Johnson exploit it in the passing game. But also, at the same time, if the Steelers drop back too far, trying to keep the, uh, the wide receivers and Deshaun Watson under control, you're going to see David Johnson you know, have chances to hurt us underneath. Uh, but he, what really is, needs to be the focus there is how do we defend David Johnson? And, and that, to me, should fall to Devin Bush. Devin Bush is the kind of player who can stay with him. He's athletic enough. He can, you know, he can match David Johnson's route running with, with Devin Bush's athleticism. And he can, he can make plays on him. 
Uh, he's not David Johnson's not a six foot six, you know, tight end who who's going to give Devin Bush problems just by height issues. Uh, so I, for, to me, if we can get Devin Bush on David Johnson, uh, that's a big key. That's a big part of this game. That's something we f- we failed in uh, week two. Is the Broncos kept changing up scheme, doing different things to get matchups where Devin Bush was on Noah Fant. That was really uh, a big scheme goal of theirs in the second half, and they they pulled it off. They pulled it off a couple of times, uh, and it, it stood out to me more than anything that the touchdown uh, to Noah Fant, the two-point conversion to Noah Fant, and the Melvin Gordon touchdown all involved Devin Bush on a tight end, and then the, the Melvin Gordon touchdown was Vince Williams on Melvin Gordon. You know, that's not the matchups we want, but they were able to manipulate our defense and get those matchups and, and get 15 points out of it. Help me and everybody else feel better about Devin Bush because he took a lot of criticism last week because of that matchup against Noah Fant. And like you mentioned, it wasn't his fault. They schemed it that way. But is there a reason to really worry about Devin Bush? Because I don't think there is. I think that was almost an aberration. But, you know, help us feel better of what he brings in the middle there. Devin Bush brings incredible play recognition. Uh, He brings really good anticipation and runs. Um, We saw towards the end of last year, he he started going from a guy who chased down a runner to a guy that was like when running backs would go to their hole, he was just there. Like, like if you remember how Ray Lewis used to do it, like he, he would talk about you beat the running back to his hole. Devin Bush started doing that at the end of last season where he was beating running backs to their hole. Uh, and me just meeting them there for no game. That's phenomenal. He is a, he's an incredible player. I think more than anyone else, he has been the one who has been had, a lot more put on him as the Steelers have blitzed more, have left him on the field every single play. Um, he is filling multiple roles depending on what the situation, what the formation is. He, he plays both linebacker spots, basically, both the Buck and the Mac linebacker. So he, he just – he's doing so much. The Steelers have put so much more on his plate. And he's still doing good. He's still doing really good. Uh, that Noah Fant touchdown, uh, a local film room guy, uh, cannot remember his name right now. Tyler Wise. Tyler Wise. Uh, he he did a film breakdown of that play and showed how the Steelers were in a defense called uh, Cover Three Mabel, which is our pattern match switch. And he talked about how one of the rules in that is the running back Melvin Gordon came out of the backfield and was running what would eventually be considered a, a quick out little route. Well, the read for the safety and the out and the cornerback Mike Hilton and Terrell Edmonds on that play is the running back. And what you saw in that play is Devin Bush is staying to the inside and sealing Noah Fant in case he tries to run like a post route into the middle. That's his job. Don't let Noah Fant catch something to the middle. He's not responsible for outside. Terrell Edmonds and Mike Hilton are supposed to read that running back. And then depending on what the running back does, one of them drops back to cover Noah Fant on the outside and one of them covers the running back. And it was either a scheme thing or it was Melvin Gordon being a KG veteran and knowing what we were running, but he slowed down into his route. He ran out and he's running upfield and he just slows down until he sees Noah Fant get behind Terrell Edmonds. Because at that point he's still running forward and Terrell Edmonds is still reading this as a forward route. And that means it's going to be his, that's his man to cover. 
as soon as he breaks out, then it's Mike Hilton's guy to cover and he needs to be on Noah Fant. And so Melvin Gordon just waits until Noah Fant gets past Terrell Edmonds and then he cuts out and you see Terrell Edmonds see him start to cut and turn to look and find like, oh crap, I'm not covering him. Where's my guy? And Noah Fant is, is back there catching a touchdown. Uh, so it's, it's kind of Terrell Edmonds' fault, but at the same point, it's really someone in Denver saw our defense, said we can exploit this exact thing, and, and did it at the exact right time. It was just a really good scheme break. Uh, and we even heard Minka Fitzpatrick talk about that they, they beat our scheme on that play and that the Steelers adjusted, and when they went back to it later in the game, the Steelers had it covered. We've been calling Terrell Edmonds for a long time the Steelers' sexiest supermodel, the unsexiest supermodel, excuse me, because of who he's around and to give him a little more credit. Um, you know, I hate that uh, anybody that tries to throw that uh, weak link moniker on him because he is really, uh, he's more workmanlike and really fits what the Steelers do. I always say if he was a third round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers, not a first round draft pick, the fans would just uh, eat him up and love him. But uh, with that being said, that's really great analysis. So I really appreciate you saying that. What is the one key to victory for the Pittsburgh Steelers this week? And what's going to be a tough matchup in week three? Uh, tough matchup. I'm actually going to go with Zach Cunningham, their inside linebacker. They've got J.J. Watt. You mentioned Justin Reed. So they've got that kind of front line and they got that back line defense. But in the middle, they got Zach Cunningham, who last year really exploded, had a ton of tackles. He's a, he's a monster in the run game. He has had two really bad weeks to start this season. But what stands out about those games is you're talking about Kansas City, where they were getting him on tight ends. They were getting him matched up in different places. And, and Kansas City uses a ton of motion and uses it really well. Then he faces the Baltimore Ravens, another team that uses motion really well to manipulate your coverages, to manipulate your assignments of the linebackers and get, get him on tight ends, get him off of running backs, get him out of where he's comfortable. So he hasn't looked good so far in this season, but they've really faced a perfect storm of, of offenses to really, really frustrate him. Another thing we've seen is Baltimore used a fullback heavily against Houston that works against Zach Cunningham to get that extra body in there, that extra blocker, because they don't have uh, good linebackers around him. So if they put in another linebacker, that's fine. You don't care if they put another linebacker. You have another body, another shot to get that block on Zach Cunningham. Um, they both, Kansas City used a fullback. Like they used a fullback more than they do normally against the Houston Texans, mostly to deal with Zach Cunningham because he is that kind of impact player. He is, he is really fast to the ball, and he's a good, become a really good tackler. Uh, so one of my keys to that is, is Zach Cunningham, and I think one of the solutions could very well be uh, seeing Derek Watt more in this game. And it being the Watt Bowl, like, you, you want to see Derek Watt more, but also, you know, put him in there. Let him, let him go up there and see Zach Cunningham get some blocks there because they don't have depth. They don't have a lot of good players. Uh, they basically on defense have three really good ones with J.J. Watt, Zach Cunningham, and Justin Reed. So if you can, if you can take out, if you can take care of J.J. Watt and Zach Cunningham, you can run all over this team. It seems like Derek Watt might be the most important of the Watt brothers this week coming to this game. And that's uh, not, not something you really think about, but 
it's important for James Conner because James Conner thrives with a fullback as well. So I'm hoping to see a lot of number 44 this week. And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to seeing all these, all three of these guys on the field. I got a kick out of uh, um, Justin James from the, uh, the Good Brother Chronicle or whatever he called it yesterday. I don't know if you had a chance to check that out where he uh, busted in on uh, Derek and TJ's press conference. And he, he came in, it's on Steelers.com, and he came in with his question about their, their workout facility um, during COVID and the owner, how good the owner was in the facility. So I guess <laughs> they, they trained down at JJ's. Uh, so fun to watch because you could see how genuine they are as brothers, but you also see how great that rivalry is between each other. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's really funny to follow these guys on uh, social media. They compete, and I'm talking JJ and TJ compete for the love of uh, um, the uh, Derek Watt children. So they, yeah. it's a big deal who's the better uncle. Yeah. And they shower these these kids with gifts because they're trying to outdo the other. It's really awesome. So I think we're going to see a lot of that on the field as well. But like we said the other day on the Steelers preview, this is more than just the Watt Bowl. This is Deshaun Watson. This is Justin Reed, Zach Cunningham, David Johnson. And this is a very good, hungry, wounded Houston Texans team. And so I don't think that it can be taken lightly. So with that being said, Jeffrey, it's time for our predictions. And I'm going to go first with my prediction because I'm not very popular this week. And I'm, I'm getting a little, little bit of uh, um, the hater hat this week put on my, my head. But I just don't think that this is a 16-0 and team. I don't expect any team to be 16-0. and And I think this could be the Admiral Akbar game. It's a trap because – this is a dangerous team that's played two good teams, not good teams, great teams, Super Bowl contenders, and they're not going to go 0-3 lightly. Now, can the Steelers win? Yes. Should they win? Yes. Will they win? I still think it's a possibility. But something in my gut, and my gut's never right, but I'm going against the Steelers this week. I'm going to pick Houston 30-24. to it's going to be a wildly entertaining game, but I think Deshaun Watson's going to take over and he's going to be too tough to stop. Your thoughts? Okay, last, last season, you know, uh, the Baltimore Ravens didn't go undefeated. The Kansas City Chiefs haven't gone undefeated. Uh, only one team has ever gone undefeated. The best, even the best teams lose to teams they are better than. Uh, and the Steelers are going to do that. The Steelers at some point in this season are going to lose to a team that they are better than. They have to. Every team does. But it's not this week. Uh, I think this week you're going to see J.J. Watt trying out to his brothers, like you were saying, but he doesn't have the supporting cast. Uh, the, the Houston, we can focus a lot of energy on J.J. Watt. They can't focus that much on T.J. I think we see the Steelers get a defensive touchdown. I think our offense eventually gets rolling based on what the defense can do because it's going to be a tough sliding for the offense early on, in my opinion. And the game ends up 31-17, to 17 Steelers. Okay, I like your score better than mine. And I, <laughs> you know what, I trust your score better than mine. So I'm going to take that as gospel, and I, I'm hoping you're right. Um, I have this role 
that when I uh, on betting on fantasy, when it's against the Steelers, all bets are off. If I've got three Houston Texans on my team in my fantasy leagues, I don't care. I, I don't need the $27. Yeah. I don't need to win the trophy. Um, I don't need to watch one of my friends get a Justin Bieber tattoo because they, they lost in the league. Um, what I need is for the Pittsburgh Steelers to win every week. So that's more important to me than anything. And I really hope that you're right. And then I'm wrong. And you can ask my wife, I'm wrong a lot. So I, I have no problem. And I'm the first one. I think I'm one of the most honest people that, that cover the Pittsburgh Steelers because I'll mention that I'm wrong probably about 40,000 times a year. But when I'm right, though, and it's not very often, but when I'm right, I'm singing it like crazy. I don't know if you remember this, but on the, on the Steelers preview before the Colts game last year, they asked me to pick the score. And I picked the Steelers to win, but I picked the exact score. And it was like, it was a weird score. It was like 24 to 19 or, or whatever it turned out to be or 1917 and they're like you're picking 19 that's never going to happen and I came up with this whole idea of how it was going to happen I was wrong on how it happened but I was right on the final score and I milked that forever and here it is almost a year later I'm still milking it because I was finally right on something so I'm not right often so you could take solace in that but I'm just feeling good about the Pittsburgh Steelers 2020 season in general so um here we go, Steelers, Jeffrey. I can't wait for this game. And if they survive this game, I'm not worried about the uh, Tennessee Titans as much as I am the Houston Texans. So I'm, I'm thinking that this could be a gateway to great things if they can win this game. That's a good point. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jeffrey. I, I, like I said, I love your score so much better than mine. And we'll be talking about this again. Be sure you check Jeffrey Benedict out with Michael Beck, one of my favorite shows of the week. And I take credit for it because I consider myself the executive producer of that show because I don't know if you realize this, I've been writing an article called Know Your Enemy for a few years and I discontinued it the last two. And I'm like, that would be a good podcast. So I found the right guys to do it and I couldn't have found better guys. Uh, Jeffrey and Michael are fantastic in that role and bringing guest stars in. And, you know, these guys don't even need a guest star each week. That's how much of a clinic Jeffrey puts on when he does this show. So I really appreciate all you do. So be sure to check that out. On the network today, check out the Aussies. You know, Touchdown Under, they are, they are gaining a lot of steam. If you haven't had a chance to check out them, they're fantastic as well. And Steeler Brunch with Tony is on as well too today tony has some great things to talk about he has some of the most interesting perspective ever so really check that out on anywhere that you can find your podcast that you enjoy whatever platform you go to whatever streaming service you're gonna find behind the steel curtain btsc radio check that out then tomorrow after the game immediately after the game michael beck's gonna have the mike tomlin press conference recap that's going to come out on the site you could download that within five minutes of that press conference ending that's how quick it goes on and at the same time we're going to be recording the Steelers post game show and hopefully Jeff Hardman and Dave Schofield 
are scolding me for not knowing anything about football. And hopefully they're telling me how wrong I am with my prediction. So that's what I'm going with. So Jeffrey Benedict, any final thoughts? Nope. Just go Steelers. I love it. He's not the best color man in the world for nothing folks. (laughs) For Jeffrey Benedict. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. Just when you think you know all the answers, we keep changing the questions.